You are listening to the Enormo cast. Though another Halloween is behind us, the Crypt Keeper is just now cracking the door for one of the most loathsome creatures to slither forth for the season. That's right, the call is coming from inside your house, and it's... Your pal Dave, who just loves ice climbing. Dude, I just saw a gram of the snot sickle. It's in, and it's fat as fuck. Your message has been deleted. Please hang up and lose this number. And though they may seem like the undead, ice climbers are not in fact impervious to the cold. And that's where Black Diamond comes in. In addition to basically inventing modern ice climbing, Chenard, 1982, look it up. And engineering cutting-edge ice tools, crampons, and ice protection, Beatty is happy to shroud an ice climber in the best layers for movement and warmth. Slap the Solution 150 Merino base layer against their pasty skin. Then wrap that in the Coefficient Hoodie mid-layer, a personal favorite, or the new Coefficient LT Hybrid Hoodie, which is lighter and stretchier, but you know, just as coefficient-y. Finally, waterproof that beast body with the Liquid Point shell. BD also has the most technical gloves around and the best helmet options, because, well, if you ice climb without a helmet, you probably won't remain undead for long, if you know what I'm saying. So follow Dave, or whoever else is stoked to climb icicles, to blackdiamondequipment.com or your favorite local shop to check out the latest apparel and gear for pursuing your frozen dreams or nightmares. Dude, it's Dave again. Where are you at? Yeah, hi, Norma Nation. This is Jeff Bezos. Bezos? Yeah, <laughs> however you want to say it. Uh, you may have heard of a little company called Amazon.com. It, it, it's not actually little, it's, it's fucking humongous. But anyway, I'm kind of like your crack dealer for junk that you really don't need. <laughs> but even though I need a solid gold ankler for my second super yacht, I'm going to make a solid gold suggestion this holiday season and, and ask that you help me get on the good side of Chris at the Enorma Cast. By buying direct from the the little guys that sponsor his enormously good podcast. <laughs> Enormous. Get, get it? It's, it's in the name. Anyway, there's three small businesses that sponsor his show. And, and buying direct from them really makes a difference to their bottom line. As opposed to mine. I don't even know where that is, frankly. I mean, is it like when you only have one Lamborghini and not <laughs> seven? PeterWGilroy.com makes incredible hats, jewelry, and artistic accessories out of a place called New Mexico. I don't know where that is, but it sounds amazing. Uh, BelaySpecs.com is just a couple of, of people, humans, I think, uh, banging out those crazy glasses that save your neck. And BonfireCoffee.com roasts great coffee in a small shop out of Glenwood Springs, Colorado. Very resourceful. Extremely resourceful, these people. And, and they're all small, and, and they're all supporting climbers. And, and, and look, I know it's hard to quit me and my robot overlords. You know, I kind of <laughs> designed it that way. But, but click over to any of these small vendors and, and entry Normo. Or, or a Normacast at checkout. I can't remember which, but try them both. Anyway, you can get a discount, get a great gift for one of your friends, and maybe, just maybe, Chris will return one of my 40 emails I've sent him. Oh, wait, hold on, let me press send. Okay, never mind, 41 emails. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing this at? Are you playing here? We're doing the... Uh... The Normo Dome, whatever it is, it's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place. That's, out. Out. That's a big nice. place. You sold it out. I'll see. We really should. 
the hell are you doing? I couldn't sleep. I'm checking the ropes. There was a frayed end on your rope, and I'm cutting it out. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, La Sportiva, and with support from Maxim Ropes. Maxim has been keeping the normal cast off the deck since 2012. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Enormal Cast in your woofers. This is my real voice. I have not changed it in any way. In a world plagued by climbing podcasts. Yeah, I could do voiceover work. Give me a call. Anyway, it is November 30th, about 11 a.m. here in Colorado, 2022. And this is episode 253 of the Enormacast, a conversation with climber Nick Barry. And this interview is on the very climby end of the Enormacast spectrum. I know I cast about sometimes and find myself in non-climbing territory or climbing-adjacent territory, like the last episode with Fallon Rao. But the previous one with strong Steve McClure was very climby, and here we are back again talking about adventures in climbing, which is, you know, the sweet spot the spot many of you yearn for. Nick Barry is one of those deep soul climbers. He's been at it a long time. He's incredibly accomplished. And you know, if you or I or anyone were to start to compile a list of the best 20 climbers or so or top 10 climbers that you've heard of or or can point to, Nick wouldn't necessarily make that list because he's not as well known, but he certainly is accomplished as some of the best climbers out there. But he keeps a slightly low profile despite being a sponsored climber, one foot in the sponsorship world, one foot in the nursing world, and one foot in the dirtbag world. How many feet is that? Three feet. That's right. That's the amazing thing about Nick Barry is he has three feet. That's how he climbs so well. Extra foothold. And the only business I have to talk to you about before we get to Nick Barry is the business of selling you shit. Yes, it is the holiday season the consumer season. And if you must consume, if you must, consider supporting the sponsors of the Enormacast, both Sportiva and Black Diamond, as well as our small sponsors. Listen to Jeff Bezos, Bezos, but, but whatever. Maybe I'll return one of his emails. You'll only get that if you didn't skip the commercials. Yeah. Holiday season, especially, I mean, shit, Peter W. Gilroy, you want to give something nice to a loved one, your belayer, someone, Man, look at Peter W. Gilroy stuff, PeterWGilroy.com. It's amazing, amazing art. And he's a climber. Support him. Entry Norma at checkout. And, of course, belay specs. Are you sharing your belay specs or your belay glasses with someone? Are you like you and your wife or your husband or your partner are like, well, we only need one pair. We'll just pass them back and forth. Then, of course, someone leaves with them in their pack, and you're going climbing with someone else, and you get to the crag, and you don't have your damn glasses. And you know what? At this point, at my age anyway, that's grounds for just going home, staring up at a climber 
all afternoon. Someone's up there like, take, take, like, forget it. I'm out if I don't have my belay specs. So if you already have them, consider getting another pair. And if you know someone without them, God damn, have mercy. Get them a pair. BelaySpecs.com, enter EnormaCast at checkout. Yeah, good coffee's good coffee. Bonfire.com, come on. All right, enough selling stuff. I know some of you are annoyed. But you know what annoys me? People who think I should do this for free. Oh, and by the way, the merch is dead. I don't have any merch. But I can send you a sticker to get in your friend's stocking if you talk to me pretty soon. Okay, I'll get them out before Christmas here um, pretty soon. But after a while, it's going to be too late. When is that? I don't know. It's just, it just, it'll happen and no one will know. Send an address, sticker in the subject line. Okay, here's Nick. Uh huh, not quite. Psych. Squama by Sportiva. A shoe for climbers who are not afraid to send. Climbing obsession. Why are you so obsessed? Squama. Squama vegan. Precision. Stability. Squama vegan. Skin like. Why are you so obsessed? What would you do for the sand? What would you do for the sand? Squama by Sportiva. Squama. What would you do for the sin? Elevate your sending with the Squama and elevate your consciousness with the new Squama Vegan. All the sending without the animal-derived materials. Find the Squama at Sportiva.com or your favorite local shop. Squama. What would you do for the sin? must have been a sophomore in college. I think I've been climbing for two years. And I was just totally smitten by climbing still. Like everything was climbing at that point, you know, just. Um, and I, my parents were going to meet me in St. George. They were going to meet me on Saturday. And I had Friday off. So I was like, well, how am I going to get climbing in to like satisfy me through the weekend, you know? And so I was in Flagstaff going to school and I came up with a plan to solo Prodigal Son. And I got all my stuff together, like had no idea how to aid solo. My friend gave me like a quick tutorial in the local climbing shop, gave me like a little uh, mini haul bag. And then I realized that I wasn't going to make the bus. So he was like, oh, here's like one of the skateboards, you know, with like the handles. And he's like, just in case, you know, it was a Hail Mary, like take this so you can like skate in from the fork, you know, where the buses um, stop running. And so I make it down. I barely missed the bus. I'm like half an hour late. And so I like, I'm like, fuck. So I like pull out my skateboard and from like the fork where you come in from the tunnels, I skated it from, it was like 10 o'clock at night. And I skated from there up to prodigal son. And then aid soloed the route overnight without any sleep and came down the next day and I was just completely destroyed. Could barely keep my eyes open driving into Hurricane and I got to a gas station and just passed the fuck out and like, you know, I 
my parents called me and um they were like what's going on and i was like i can't drive i'm too tired i'm gonna fall asleep at the wheel so they like they had to get me and then i was just completely destroyed like they had to drive me home and i just literally like slept the entire weekend and they were just so pissed because i was like obviously not like you know emotionally available at all right but uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> But, you know, my climbing was satisfied, so that was, like, really nice, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so where did this uh, where did this burning passion come from? Like, that, that's, like, the ultimate, I guess, the ultimate Norma Cast question is, like, what is it that, you know, lit you on fire? What, what, it, what was it about you that it, it appealed to? I don't know. I, I always had something, like, as a kid, like, mm-hmm. with sports, you know? I'd, like, playing soccer, and then I got really into running, and... um did a bunch of cross country and then I got burned out on that. And I just, I always had one thing that I was just right. doing like full on, you know, it was no like half-assing it in my life, you know, it was always just like a hundred percent in on this thing, you know? And some friends took me out to little cottonwood and I was just like hooked. We did this like slab to the left of like Albert Surrett. It's like this mega V3, you know, it's really nice. And, uh, ever since then I was just like totally hooked, you know, I, from running, I really liked being outside, but I didn't like the cutthroat atmosphere of it, you know, because like by you winning, like someone else is losing all the time, you know. And so like, I really liked how climbing like added this sense of support and like everybody could have a great time, you know, it wasn't like one person wins, you know, and the community is so supportive and amazing. And so it really just like encompassed like, you know, this outdoor element with this amazing um, kind of supportive atmosphere that I felt like was lacking in the other sports that I was in. And then also you just get to climb these like incredible formations, you know, you just look at them and you're just like, oh my God, that thing is gorgeous. Like I just want to have this amazing experience on it, you know, has nothing to do with like the grade or like anything else. It's just like this gorgeous formation, you know, that you're just like totally natural in there and you just like have this innate feeling that you want to like, go up there and have this rad experience on it, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's again, like we're, we're delving right into the the sort of basis of the podcast, I guess is, is things like you just said, you know, it's innate in you and like this beautiful formation, but obviously, you know, you take a huge swath of the population and you point out that little boulder and they're like, man, you know, or whatever, or, or, yeah. or, you know, or like these idiots that go in there and spread graffiti all over them or whatever. Like, yeah, it, there, it's like this, I mean, who knows where it comes from? I guess we could, we could delve into that, but like this idea that it lit you up, it lit you on fire and the aesthetics of it, you know, were a big part of it is just such a fascinating kind of thing to sort of think about in terms of like, why, like, yeah. why can everyone else drive by those things? you know, multitude of times. And, and, you know, for them, the, the, the rustle, you know, looking at Alta from the rustler is what fires them. Up <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When those boulders do nothing for them. You know? Yeah. But yeah, I, I do feel like, you know, you go to Yosemite or something and all the tourists are like, Oh my God, there's a cam, like you're a climber. And they right. like, you know, it's like they swarm you, you know? And so there is like, I feel like you put somebody in like a certain environment and they like feel that, magic you know that climbing has sucked all of us into you know like they like it is there but you know boulders once you're a climber i feel like like you know i don't want to talk shit on boulders but like you know once you're a climber like 
I think boulders, you gain more appreciation for it. Mm -hmm. But it's like when you're not a climber, like a boulder, you're just going to be like, oh, it's a boulder, you know, but you look at El Cap and you're like, oh, my God, this is like fucking amazing. Yeah, certainly. Like, (laughs) this is insane. Like, I totally get it, you know? Yeah, but it's like if you got to give them El Cap to get them excited, you know, that almost like proves the point. Like you yeah. got to go to the biggest, sweetest, most like <laughs> astounding thing literally in the entire world from yeah. like a rock standpoint. And that gets them excited. But like, you know, if they turn around and you're like, okay, that's lower cathedral. They're like, man, look at this thing. You know? <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. The, and the cool thing about climbers and pretty, pretty, you know, universally, it's like we each one of those things has this like draw to them. You know, it's, it's, it just kind of is yeah. interesting. Like, when you just said it, you use these words like innate. And uh, I don't think it's innate for everybody, but it was for you. Yeah, I, I guess that's true, you right. know? And and it's like to a level that makes you actually like go and pursue mm-hmm. it versus mm-hmm. just being like, oh, yeah, rock climbing. Like I get all cap, but like right. I'm just going to like go back to my tech job in the city. You know? Right, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, tell me a little bit about like what that looked like. It sounds, you know, you, you just said you went to do Prodigal Sun, which is you know, a, a, a C whatever route, you know, entry level kind of aid route. Yeah. You were bouldering. Um, I mean, did you just like go hog wild on everything you could, that was called climbing? Kind of. Yeah. Like I, I was, I was pretty into it for a little bit, but it was, I only climbed outside for about six months. Right. And then, uh, yeah, I got, you know, when you're in little cottonwood, you're always looking up at the bigger formations, you know, mm-hmm. that are right there. And so then I was like, oh, I should like go and, you know, try, you know, trad climbing or something. Cause I was, I'd like look up and see like people on Crescent Crack or something, you know. And uh, I had no idea how to multi pitch climb at the time though. And so my buddy Luke had like five cams and my dad had like a handful of nuts from canyoneering. And we were just like, well, you know, let's like try to figure this out. And, but I didn't know how to multi-pitch belay or anything. So I called IME, which is like the local total core gear shop in Salt Lake. They're all amazing. And, uh, I was like, so how do I multi-pitch belay? And they like gave me the full tutorial. What? Yeah. They did? Like just on the phone. On the phone? Yeah. Who, who was it specifically? I actually don't know. I wish I knew. Because, yeah, I mean, like, I, I'm buddies with, like, all those guys yeah, yeah. now, so because, it mean, would it be really been, fun. Like, it could have been, like, you know, legendary crack climber Scott Carson. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, you know, it could have been the recently passed Merrill Bitter, who is, yeah. like, a legend totally. in, in Salt Lake climbing and beyond. You know, it yeah. could have been Shingo. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it's like... No, it could have been any of yeah, them, yeah. <laughs> and they just, like, they decide, fed me this information. Which is so funny because it's, like, yeah. there's, you know almost nowhere and maybe nowhere like this might have been ex- this might be a specific example to IME where they would dare to do that yeah as a business for one thing totally like liability and or all that just to sell you a guided course or to like you know it'd be like oh no you have to like come on in and we'll <laughs> yeah. sell you something but instead they're just like we have they have no idea who you are right yeah yeah no i i was just like hey how do i do this and they like totally gave are it you to fucking me kidding yeah me? yeah and then like we went out and that we like so fucking funny dude we like we're gripped out of our minds you know but we like we made it happen you know that but that's you, that's classic yeah it, it's pretty awesome i can't even imagine <laughs> i mean because people, people email me for 
guidance on technical things. Uh-huh. And I even kind of shy away from it a little bit. Yeah. Being like, I can't really explain this to you how to, you know, solo with a with a Grigri or like how to, you know, do whatever it happens to be like this isn't the right place. And plus yeah. I'm like, I don't need to be like getting someone killed. Just, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I don't know. This kid could be 12 yeah, for all yeah, I know. I'll just tell him how to do it. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, a lot no. of faith. Yeah. But no, it worked. Yeah, it worked. Yeah. And then like, but I wasn't that like proficient, obviously, you know, it was like very like basic. I'm surprised I didn't like hurt myself or my partner, honestly. Right. But then I, yeah, then I went to school in Flagstaff and uh, I actually hooked up with like a bunch of guys who were like, super core climbers and new were like very well established you know had climbed a lot around and uh they like fixed my anchor scene up and like right. they made fun of me a lot because i'm like pretty notorious for shit anchors but uh it, they improved it quite a bit you know <laughs> at least made it so it was safe right what was your community initially like in in salt lake it was pretty small honestly because yeah. i like i didn't really start there until like i think i was 18 or 19 mm-hmm. when i started climbing mm-hmm. so um, I had like a small group, like my high school buddies took me out and stuff. And, uh, and then my friend Luke and I think that's about, oh, a few of my like, uh, the kids in the neighborhood actually started climbing too, but no one actually like out of that group, I don't think anyone kept climbing right. oddly, but, uh, yeah, so it was pretty small there. But then my group in like, when I went to school in Flagstaff was mm-hmm. awesome. It right. was like, all we did was climb. It was amazing. Like, and we'd climb on like all different rock types cause you had it all and that really like built the foundation of my climb. Yeah, that sounds cool. And I asked that because it's like, you know, Salt Lake, I mean, how old are you now? Uh 36. So it was like 16, 17 years ago. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it 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 it's so different than like a, a lot of the stories I hear on here because of older climbers like myself, like you know, even in a place like Salt Lake, the climbing community was so small. The chances of you having kids on your street that are climbing was yeah. minimal, but that's changed, you know. Yeah. In, a, in a place like Salt Lake, a place like Boulder, you know, there's a few uh-huh. towns, cities where it's possible just to bump into climbers now. And, uh, you know, I grew up in the burbs of Chicago, so that was going to be impossible. Um, but it's fascinating that you, you, you sort of had even that big a group of a few kids, few guys, few people, whatever, that knew how to climb enough to get to not die. And, yeah. You know, no, I think, yeah, yeah. it was amazing. Like, we yeah. didn't hurt ourselves, honestly, because <laughs> none of us had like a real mentor or anything, you know? It's crazy because my one of my best friends, Justin Wood, like he literally right. lived like on the same street, like just down, but we didn't know each oh, other. Oh, really? So we but he totally. Lived there at the time. Yeah, yeah. We totally could have like linked up, but What's we just age didn't difference? know. Uh, Justin's, I think, like 40. One or forty-two yeah, or something. See, that's the problem. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like those age differences flatten out when you yeah. become an adult. But yeah. when you're a teenager, they're, they're. I mean, he would have been, you know, solid like in his early twenties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it would have been. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't have hung yeah, out with you. He probably would have been like a uh, little twerp. Like, <laughs> right. get out of here! I'm not taking you out. <laughs> There's also this kind of uh, in a lot of climbers' evolution, and and I think particularly in yours there was a point at which you sort of evolved into performance climbing um, really heavily. So tell me a little bit about your evolution, like at, you know, as an early climber and, and Flagstaff um, and how you started kind of thinking about like, you know, I want to be the best I can be at this sort of thing versus, you know, just casting around for like the prodigal son versus the, you know, maybe sport climbing at the pit versus crack climbing here and, 
you know, there's that kind yeah. of climber too, but some people, and you're one of them that evolves into this, like, I want to get really, really good at this. And that's going to require me to get fit and strong in a, you know, very specific way. I think in the beginning, I was just like, like climbing so expansive, you know, right. there's so many things to learn, especially when you're new, especially with all of the disciplines. And so in the beginning, I was just like soaking it all up, you know, because I, I really like I've always looked up to Tommy, you know, he's always been like the pinnacle of what I thought was the coolest climber, you know, just doing all the disciplines really well. If something looked really inspiring to me, I wanted to have the opportunity to like really have at it, you know, and have an experience on it. So if somebody was really knowledgeable at something, I would go and do whatever with them, you know, um, no matter what type it was. So, and Flagstaff built that for me because like we could go down to Sedona and we could go and do chossy trad climbing, or there are like some really great quality routes there too, but, um, you would get exposure to how to climb every different terrain, you know, and then, uh, we'd go sport climbing at the pit and I could kind of like build more of my power endurance. And then, um, the paradise forks was probably the place that taught me the most. But, um, after that, then I, I really just realized I needed to be better because then I I started to have goals and things, you know, things would catch my eye and I'd be like, I really want to climb moonlight. And so I'd go and train for that. And uh, I think that really got me excited because I would, I would just see something. I'd be so inspired by it and I would just do whatever I, I like. I would always just think like that fully consume me and I was just going to do whatever it took to climb that thing, you know? And Moonlight was kind of that first thing for me that really uh, made me just dedicate everything to being able to do that, you know, route. So um, I think that was the biggest like changeover from just like absorbing information and like becoming more experienced to being more of in the mindset of like a performance climber. Right. And that's sort of in the neighborhood um, if you're in Northern Arizona. Yeah. 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 It's like three or four hours away. Yeah. Right. So. And even Salt Lake, you know, it's in the same state. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, you just said, well, I learned the most from Paradise, climbing at Paradise Forks. What do you mean by that? Uh, well, it's this incredible area that uh, it's, there are some cracks there, but mm-hmm. it's a lot of like really thin technical cracks too. So you would be jamming, but you would also be forced to have really technical footwork mm-hmm. and you know, body position awareness and the rocks really slick. So, um, a lot of it kind of felt a little insecure. And so, and it's also, uh, the other thing that's really neat about this area is it's on a rim. And so you actually have to wrap in, in order to climb out. And so I would climb a lot there on the, like the weekends and things with friends, but I'd have 10 AM classes or something. And so I'd wake up at five in the morning, go there, like, and I, I didn't know what mini tracking was back then. So I'd just use a Grigri, which was like really cumbersome. But I would just go and do this thing, Paradise Lost, which is this like amazing, you know, like 12A corner. And I would just do it like 10 times in a row before class, you know? And I think it was like the same side, like uh, same lie backing side as uh, most of Moonlight. So that kind of was like the prep for the entire route. I would just go and do a ton of volume on that thing. And I would do it on a bunch of other pitches too, just to gain, you know, have that volume to really get experience from. Yeah, it's interesting. I climbed there a long, long time ago. And as a more modern climber, like the idea of dropping ropes on and whether you're 
tr- mini tracking or using a Grigri. Like it never even occurred to me back in the day. And I don't think it was like a big thing. And it's such a mm. thing now that I've thought a lot about Paradise Forks. And I'm just like, fuck, that's the perfect place. Like oh, yeah. it's a tree. Like it's like a, you know, the anchor could be like this, you know, three foot in diameter gigantic tree or what i mean i guess yeah. maybe some of them burned down has it burned there yet i don't think so yeah it's cool because it stopped no... actually it didn't quite burn it but maybe it did but yeah, yeah but i mean just like yeah boom you're on top of these things and just drop the rope on them and like have at is like yeah. a new modern kind of idea not super modern but more modern than when i was there yeah no it was it's perfect for that yeah. you know and uh yeah it's all tree anchors like no bolts they hate bolts there they get chopped all the time right and uh yeah i had this little zippy subaru like 2.5 rs and i would just fucking nuke out there on these dirt roads you know and it was just so, the whole thing was just so fun because i would just rage on the dirt road you know as like a, a college kid it's just rallying my car at like 80 miles an hour on these dirt roads you know and then like pull off and like climb and then like rally home and then go into class you know it's like it was just such a fun day. What know? were you studying? Uh, business marketing. Theoretically. Yeah, not much. <laughs> I, I always say that I went to school like, and got a, uh, got a master's in rock climbing and a bachelor's in marketing. In marketing. Yeah, All yeah. Right. <laughs> Handy now yeah, yeah. as a nurse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I never touched the degree. It was like completely useless. That's all right. I have an English degree. But, uh, I, I feel the same way. Yeah, yeah. my master's was, was definitely more in climbing. Um, but you managed to pull it off. You got you you graduated. Yeah, I got through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think my parents would have killed me if I didn't. You know. Yeah, I've got this guy. I think we. I think we come from similar families. Um, it sounded a little bit like there was some outdoor stuff though in your youth. If your dad was had his nuts for canyoning and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. He, my dad's super into canyoneering actually, mm-hmm. but he he doesn't go so much. But uh, yeah, that we, we were out in the outdoors like right. skiing and snowboarding all the time and like very outdoorsy family right they just never i think like i i showed some interest in rock climbing when i was younger and uh i think they were just a little hesitant and like letting me fully dive into that you know Mm -hmm. which is understandable right i mean we've known each other for a while and more through mutual friends Mm -hmm. um one in particular hayden kennedy but um just delving into your your, the way your brain works and the and because i think there's a little bit of a uniqueness to you, Nick, um, in terms of how you approach the sport. Um, and I'm, that's, I'm kind of like, I've always kind of wondered about it a little bit. And, you know, you're getting at this obsessiveness that almost all climbers show, but it sounds like that was something previous, like you're in to a thousand percent. And you also use the word burnout with the other sports that you had done. And is that part of it? Like you just go too hard and too far? I think in running, it burnt me out. Um, well, I actually, I, I was really like devastated. Actually, I had this like, I was training really, really hard and I did pretty well in cross country um, and state and stuff. But uh, then in track, I trained really, really hard and I got pneumonia like a month before. And I was just like, had this like total fallout kind of. And I was just like, how could this happen? You know, cause it just completely destroyed like all my races. I just couldn't compete at all. Mm-hmm. Wipe me out. And, uh, yeah, it, it looking back on you it, were like, why like, God? Yeah. It, done, it was like, really? Me? Yeah, no, it was <laughs> like, cause I was raised Lutheran and I actually right. like, haven't gone to church since. Really? No joke. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I was like, 
it just got me thinking. I was like, how could God do this to me? Like looking back, I was like, oh my God, you're such a selfish motherfucker. But like, right. Um, yeah, God was busy like, yeah, yeah. Sm- smiting this like little white kid from fucking Salt yeah. Lake City. But then it just got That's me what he thinking was doing. about. He's, yeah, yeah. he's like, I'm going to take yeah. the rest of the day to fuck with this guy. Yeah, no, no, yeah. Hold my calls. Uh, yeah. yeah. I'm going to ruin his track season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're done, kid. <laughs> A Lutheran in Salt Lake City, right on. Yeah, That's yeah. not usually the story I hear growing up from yeah. Salt Lake City, obviously. Yeah. I, no. I know there's been a lot of Jack Mormon of climbers on the show who've moved on from religion in their own way, but they weren't forsaken by, <laughs> yeah, by yeah, God <laughs> just before the cross-country <laughs> yeah, season yeah. started. Heaven forbid. Yeah. You really, so you haven't been back to your youth. No, that yeah, it. yeah, that was it. You're like, mom, dad, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a little tension there at times, but they've come around. You know? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you're taught to believe, though, right? Yeah. Fortune, you know, fortune and misfortune comes down from high. So, they, they you know, they set you up for that, I think. Yeah, yeah. With those exactly. things. So, yeah. You know, were you kind of a guy that was like, throwing himself at the stuff that appeared before you or were you sort of a deep in the history type of dude you know no i really didn't know anything about history right i i I kind of feel ashamed honestly like (laughs) like i feel like all these other people i think that came from like my mentors though because they were totally they knew a little bit they had climbed in yosemite a bit but they weren't history people by Mm -hmm. any means um and so i was really just looking like and climbing things that were inspiring to right. me, you know, is fully like that sort of thing. And I, I definitely like respected and knew a little bit about it, but yeah, until I, you know, did my own reading and stuff, I really didn't know much about climbing history at all. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think people like bag on that a little bit, but there's also something to be said for just not feeling any weight of any of it and not necessarily like, okay, this is too hard for me because these guys did it, which I think can go a lot of times with, at least the way I've looked at history, sometimes I have that sort of feeling like, okay, that's out of my league because that person did it. And, you know, Todd Skinner was like the greatest and I'm just this like bumbler, you know? So I think, I mean, there's probably an advantage in a way to just being a young person who's like, I'm going to climb this. I don't really know, you know, the last 20 years of its history, but I think I can do it kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I honestly think that was beneficial because I had like no concern at all about like going and climbing on all cap, you know, and just trying to free roots and stuff. I was just like, this just looks rad and I just want to go do it, you know, because that's like totally what, you know, draws me into climbing right now. Um, And looking back at that, like I definitely wish I kind of knew more that time. I think it would have like helped um, just with my general understanding of some of it but it, i think for actually doing what i did i think it was actually better almost to not know you know I right think you're totally spot on well yeah i mean it, it, in some ways i think like you know again i've known you for a while we have a lot of mutual friends and, and stories come with that and, and there's honestly like a lot of nick berry stories and these are the fun ones so these are the ones i hear about like you getting in a little over your head yeah you know but sending and but like making it happen or using whatever happened to you to, to go on to like send the route, you know? So it's not like you got shut down, but, um, you know, you, you, before we got on the mic, you were telling me this, 
I brought up, I was like, didn't, wasn't there some story about you like being found on El Cap and you <laughs> clarified it, but like that kind of story, like if you, you know, don't mind telling that again, yeah. it's kind of interesting. And, but before you do, like, where does that fit in? Like you, you know, you go to Yosemite, what do you do first when you get there? Like what, what's, I mean, do you dive right in? You, I don't, it doesn't seem like you put in years there or anything like that before you were like banging it out on El Cap. No, I, I had had this one trip where I went for a month in August. Mm-hmm. Um, I had I think I'd been climbing a year or something, and I just got annihilated, like completely destroyed. You right. Know? Like I went with this guy who had this massive base of like Eldo roots, you know, and he was like this really strict dude. He's like, you got to do all the five nine pluses, and then you can do the ten A's, and right. then you can do the ten B's. <laughs> and I was like, fuck that shit. I'm just going to go and climb whatever looks cool, you know? Was he old? He was older, like me. for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I so like that's the way that, I learned like, how to climb. Yeah, I was like a kid in a candy store. I was right. like, you're not going to fucking stop me from climbing right. what I want, you know? Right. And, uh, but like, you know, he kind of like, he would hold me back a bit, you know? Um, I, I essentially just got worked. It was probably good. He like kind of kept me within my, my abilities. Because, yeah, like I... You know, I I really had a harder time on. I totally shut down on a higher cathedral on the northeast butt, and then I, I did okay on some other routes, but it was pretty rough. And then I went back, maybe one short trip, and I climbed Astro Man, which was like a total leap. You know, I like on sighted Astro Man, you know, and I was like, oh, like I've gotten so much better, and that was really fun, you know, to feel that improvement, especially on such a rad route, and then. I came back um, after being in Salt Lake a little bit and like really increasing my sport fitness. And uh, I had a hard time finding partners, so I didn't just dive right in. But uh, my friend Matt McCormick and I climbed Freerider on that trip. Okay. Yeah. So that was pretty quick. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, how old were you then? Uh, like low 20s. Right. So yeah. uh, just if not too long after you started climbing. Yeah, yeah. In the grand scheme of things yeah. anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, how did yeah. that go? It was really great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It went well. It was that weird time where like uh the boulder problem on uh Freerider had broken and Alex was just coming up. He had like an 80 meter rope and they were just doing these like massive one pitch things. Like I was I was like, what the fuck? Like, what is this shit? You know? And uh he just like whizzes right by and he's like, Oh, we're just gonna go check out the boulder problem to see if it still goes, you know? And uh so you're like what now yeah it was like still what? Goes? yeah yeah because there was all this word there's this talk like right. chatter it was like oh it might not go da, da, da. and uh yeah so alex went up there and he like figured it out and everyone was doing this double dino way which everyone does a karate kick now which is different but uh yeah it, like worked out and everything went well on the route yeah i was like it, it the bullet problem took me maybe like three goes or something mm-hmm. when i did it and then we just like kind of went to the top and it was all nice well it's interesting because i i like when i went out to climb on free rider i was like on this whole crack mission the whole way out there like we went to donner summon we went to all these different places. And I was like, crack climbing, crack climbing, crack climbing. And then when I got up there, I was like, fuck, I should have been bouldering. <laughs> yeah, <granite."> yeah. <laughs> and ever since then, I've thought about like little cottonwood and stuff as being like actually a really good training ground. Not, you know, I mean, just technically that granite is really similar and just as how smooth it is and how grand, grand, like the, 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 um, sort of, uh, size of the, of the, uh, 
crystals. Crystals and yeah. stuff. It's I think it's really similar, you know, and you're, it is, you're pawing it's way a rat worse, and stuff. Yeah. You know? It's well, like really shit version. You know? Yeah. But I mean, but in a way that's good because yeah. you're going to be like, all right, well, this, we have even more friction here. Yeah. I guess in Salt Lake, my buddy Pete V and I did all this stupid stuff where we were like, went on this kick where we we're like, we're going to skip all the bolts. Oh, really? We're going to put in gear on these, like, and like Jonathan Knight, these like Salt Lake legends, you know, like we did this thing called Beastie Boys on gear. And I like should have died on the thing, you know, I like fell off and had to hop back over this giant ledge and uh, fell on this slung horn. Yeah, we ended up doing it, but I was like, why? Well, what I, does I did Jonathan Knight have routes. to do with it? Because it was his route. route. Oh, it was okay, his I got route. You. Yeah. But uh, I just remember, yeah, I was like... I was, was going to say, he would have thought that was stupid too. Yeah. So, okay. No, everyone thought it was <laughs> yeah, stupid, right. but for some reason, we thought it was cool. <laughs> yeah. And then I did a few of them, and then Pete went on to like duct taping hooks to the wall, and I was like, okay, this is much like, these bolts are here for a reason. Right. If the bolts are there, you should clip them because you use them anyway, right? Like, you used them to do the route in the first place, so you're not proving anything, right? But, you know, I was just like, this is dumb. And yeah, it just didn't make sense to me. I was like, okay. I'm over skipping bolts in my so life. So that was just a phase or that was something you thought was going to make you a better I think it was like, we climber. just got in this head point mode right. and it was like, really kind of like, that was how we were like, thought we were cool or something mm -hmm. and like, climbing a little cottonwood and I'm looking back and I'm like, I was such an idiot, you know? Right, right. <laughs> But, so let's go back to the story because that happened on the free rider too. Um, the was and so this was later when you wanted to do it in a day. You were gonna go wrap in and like have a look. Yeah, we we like went and uh, so I, I came into the valley and I didn't have a partner yet, mm -hmm. and I really wanted to go and check out to do a free rider in a day, and so I had like 1100 feet of rope like a single wrap cams or something my stove i was like gonna spend two days just like working the pitches and then try to do it so i start wrapping it and there's lines going down to where like free rider and south a um split and so i like wrap the other people's lines down and then i start going down my lines and i get to the scotty burke and it gets really steep and i I'm like kicking out from the wall and like trying to like use minimal directionals, but I didn't have that many. And then I just like quickly realized I had this like come to Jesus moment, you know, where I was just like, this isn't going to work. There's no way that I can make it down this wall with like not somebody without somebody like helping me out and pulling the directionals and all that stuff. Yeah. So these other people were working in the South A head wall and I yell over and I'm like, can you guys fix my lines? And like, I'll jug out and I'll like give you back your ropes that were already fixed. And uh, so I'm like, they fix them luckily. And I like jug out feeling like, you know, totally ashamed. And, uh, and then I like <laughs> jug them out and we had just been like yelling back and forth. And so they're like, meet me at like camp four campsite like four or whatever and so i like stroll into camp four with their rope and stuff and it's like will stanhope and i'm like oh shit <laughs> <laughs> and so then i just felt like way worse you know i was like oh will's like oh a hey good climber you know thanks. oh yeah yeah no <laughs> yeah sorry dude you want a beer yeah thanks for saving me <laughs> thanks for <laughs> that's funny yeah yeah and you just you, you weren't in that league yet Cause now you know all no. these cats. Yeah, yeah, but right. that was like that was actually the season where I, I had like a really nice season there. And what I, else happened? I was like, well, I ended up I did 
Golden Gate, and then I did South with uh, Cody Sims, and we both like led the headwall ledge to ledge, which was cool. And then uh, I did Freerider in a day. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was, and then I, it's funny talking to Will afterwards because he was like, "What the fuck? That like Gumby that I saved like right. when, like you know." <laughs> sense some things you know it's it's kind of funny maybe those are the kind of stories i hear yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome i mean has that followed you at all this like how did that guy climb this thing a little lot like yeah it did for a bit and then uh yeah i think like as time went on you know especially like i think as i started like putting up my own roots and mm-hmm. like doing other stuff people yeah, well, are like okay you're not you're not an idiot anymore that's a good transition talk a little bit about that the mindset change to like to doing your own roots which i think is i don't know it's not like it's not like a, a obvious arc because a lot of people just you know they never do it and they climb super hard but i think they sometimes you know really good climbers feel like they have this like endless prerequisite list we're like I, I I have to do these routes before I'm capable of like finding something new, and a lot of people like from the get go they're like I want to just climb new things. Mm-hmm. So what was the what was the transition in your head to like I got to break out and do some different stuff and and where did you go? I think it was like Mason Earl and I, another really good friends and probably the best climb partner I've ever had in my life. We did this big link up in Zion mm-hmm. where we did uh, sheer lunacy moonlight and monkey finger in a day and after climbing those i was like oh these are kind of like the ones you know and there's got to be other awesome things to do you know and so then it was spring break and i had i was in school for uh doing my prereqs and nursing so i decided to go and uh check out lunar x and that was like my first route that was like you know i I really, you know, established and spent like maybe the majority of the spring probably working on that thing and um, eventually doing it with like a a two pitch variation. But yeah, it's like, I think that thing was just really special. You know, it has like one of the best splitters I've ever climbed in my life on that thing. Yeah, I aided my way right up that. Yeah, it's. Gorgeous. Is there some pitch with like a weird nugget on it where you have to like a like in the old days we had to aid around this like thing? Oh, the looked, amoeba, the amoeba, yeah, that's the right. amoeba. Yeah, you, uh, it's still there. Yeah, okay. it's not that. I feel like it's a little hyped up, right? You know, like the amoeba. I don't know. Well, yeah, but you know, if you if you've like wrapped in and like glommed all over it, yeah. But when you're climbing true. up to it and you yeah. know anything about it. It yeah, does look like it's good. just a yeah. big booger stuck yeah, to the wall. Stuck to the, yeah, 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 yeah. But but, but I yeah, agree. Like after you climb bro. it, you're like, okay, this thing's probably fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. But you don't know that on the way up to it. Yeah, yeah. It's just so. lurking over you the whole time. <laughs> yeah. You're like oh, death block. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that that was the re- that kind of changed my mind and was like, oh, you just like go and you like check these things out, and a lot of times they go, and sometimes they don't. But like that whole like just finding something and going up there and figuring it out and that like mindset that comes with that is just was really interesting to me and that just like totally flipped my switch you know to wanting to do more of that and so then i then i went on to do like this thing in up above um salt lake is lone peak cirque and so i did two routes up there 
they were really nice. One of them actually got a lot of action this past summer in Tarot Bay. So yeah, that that's a pretty cool one. And then yeah, there's this other one called Wonder Boy that no one's repeated. I'm like, uh, people can put in bolts. It's it's kind of like a a gnarly route. Like I fully decked. I pulled there. There are some beak placements on it. People were against like bolting it. Everyone wanted it to maintain its kind of like aid integrity. And so I was like, I was totally fine with that. But I like Ari Minotov was belaying me one time and I just like, I was like, Oh, like pulled off a flake and I kept trying different beta falling on the beak. And I was like, Oh, whatever. Ari, like the beak's like a bolt. It's yeah. fine. You know, fine. like yeah, I that. took like three whips I on it. I hear a lot of that. Beak's and, then, like a bolt. <laughs> and then I like climb up above it again, fall and just full on deck on the ledge. Ari's like, yeah, dude, I, I knew that wasn't going to hold, you know, <laughs> 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 How were you okay? Yeah, yeah, I was okay. I just had some bruised heels. Oh, right. But yeah, <laughs> a little bit of bruised ego, maybe. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, like it's funny because there's people who can climb like super scary, gnar stuff, and they like are, you know, sort of the backer, like Zen master kind of thing. And it, again, like it sounds like you're kind of like, ah, fuck it. You yeah. know, I'll just go, I'll, I'll just go for it. Or this seems like a good idea or whatever. Is that, is that accurate? I mean, do you have sort of a it was bucket I, mindset that you could do back then? Or and maybe you've grown out of it a little bit? Yeah, no, I, I was really good at it back then. And it was totally a fuck it mindset. Like I was really good at the mental game. Like, I think the pinnacle was like, I'm, I'm really glad I like did like, especially the profit when I was younger, because there's no way I could, I don't think I could touch that route anymore. You know, like, it's just too dangerous. You know, I don't, I don't think I have that like mental side. I think like, you know, I've said this on the show numerous times, like there's like your twenties and you're, you're immortal and you can do shit. And to me, it sounds like with you it was like that, like at a very hyper level. Yeah. You know uh-huh. what I mean? I could do all those gnarly eight climbs um when i was that age but i i wasn't necessarily that bold of a free climber at least comparatively you know like climbing a5 whatever you know you we can split hairs on whether it exists or not yeah. that's all in my past too but check out the youtube video yeah <laughs> but i mean the equivalent in free climbing is you know some is also pretty gnarly and i wasn't there with free climbing um i could i could get away with it i mean i i started climbing in eldo too and so you just have to learn how to climb above your gear and stuff but but that's all gone for me too. Like it's mm-hmm. all gone, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but it's been impressive, you know, like you've, you've pulled off some, some, you know, pretty hard hair raising scents. And, uh, it's interesting to realize that, yeah, maybe you were just like yeehaw your way up these things. Like this, this beak story kind of fits that, you know, like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Well, I, I had like, yeah, it's funny. Cause I'd rehearsed it mm-hmm. a fair bit, but yeah, I think I had just had this like, bit of like ignorance to that stuff you know i'd fallen on beaks a few times before and nothing sure, bad has happened sure. so i was like why is it going to change now right. you know but now i like now i kind of know better what was your problem. experience on the profit like where did that fit into its history we're talking about nl cap you right? mean yeah you mean like as far as the sense go yeah or, um so yeah leo did it obviously the first ascent and then uh sunny did right. the second that's right yeah. And I uh, like Will had this like totally heroic go at it, you know, but wasn't quite able to um pull it off on that trip. Um and then I did it um 
maybe like a year or something later or something. Mm-hmm. And then Will came back and did it. What was your experience on that? I mean, how did you go about doing it? I, I wrapped in one time and I, I didn't do any like ground up climbing because I was just terrified. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, uh, I also didn't have a partner. Okay. Like a lot of my El Cap climbing is funny. I, like I just showed up and I started climbing and then I'd find partners, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I didn't have like partners prior, you know, right. so that, that kind of like led to that sort of style too, you know, but, uh, so you mean that you'd, re- you'd, you'd seen it all yeah. ahead of time uh-huh. when you say you didn't do any yeah. ground up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I I like wrap in and work like the top, and then like you know work like the bottom pitches as mm-hmm. I went down. But yeah, it, it's like it's a dope route. That like A one beauty pitch is maybe one of the better pitches on El Cap. You know, right. it's so good. The rest of the route is like has some really scary stuff on it, like really hollow flakes and like chossy stone stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it's fun climbing. You know? Yeah. Well, let me let's go a little deeper on that then. Like you know what what like can you describe your sort of mental state when you're climbing you know hard climbing that's that's super run out on something like that i mean are you like confident in the rehearsal or are you like okay i did it you know on mini traction there's alex honnold idea like why would i fall now kind yeah, of thing or i think it like, is kind of like it? that like you do it enough you know right. and you've done it you know, like there was, there was a point on that route in particular, like where I would do that A1 beauty pitch five times, you know, in one right, day. Right. And I was like doing it comfortably every time, you know? And I think that's kind of the way you want that stuff, you know? Like, like, cause that pitch, especially on the top part, you do not want to fall. Like you're, you're, you, the first part is run out, but it would be clean. Like kind of, it's like slightly under vert. So it's a little bit of a mm-hmm. slab fall. And I actually did fall. I, I went, uh, I had a buddy belay me one time and I like, I fell just like trying to do the pitch in isolation. But uh, yeah, like after that, you actually climb this, then you turn a corner into this corner and there's not like really any gear and you climb up like another 15 or 20 feet in this hard kind of corner with like some pretty powerful climbing. Like maybe it's like a, I don't know, V6 or Mm -hmm. V7 or something. And it, get steep and you could totally just destroy yourself falling into the, like this pinnacle thing below you like this this corner so like it, it's definitely the thing that we're like you're not gonna you know you can't kind of fall there right yeah i mean but so you know describing my mental state like leading hard aid climbing was always i always said it was like i was watching myself do it like i was i was detached or having like this you know, I was, uh, what's it called? The astral projection. I was like, they're watching this other person doing it. it was kind of like this weird mental trip that I would get into when I was bouncing on a hook or whatever. Um, can you like, can you categorize? Are you just like, are you just like out to lunch? Like, you know, I'm, I'm just up here climbing, like, ain't nothing going to happen. Are you like focused on like, I gotta not fall here. Like where where's your mental state when you're in that corner? It's like you can describe. Yeah. It's like just executing. Right. Like no thought at all. Perfect right. like zone state. Yeah. It's like it if you're thinking, I think it's bad, you know. Mm-hmm. You can't have like any of those thoughts. Like you're just like purely in that moment at that time, like mm-hmm. no thought at all and just like climbing and feeling the flow and just like doing what you've done a thousand times before, you know? Right. And you're you're pretty good at like not having the little intrusive thoughts of like, hey, dude, you're really running. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, 
<laughs> yeah. Hey man, I, I wrote this. Yeah. I don't even see where it's going anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've, I'm still okay at it. Mm-hmm. I, I look back and I'm like, how the fuck did I do that right. shit? You know, I'm the same way now. I did some messed up shit, you know, like right. I, I remember on China doll, I like forgot half the, like a bunch of the rack, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, and I just kept going. I was like, fuck <laughs> it. You're just caught like your send or die mode, right, you know? And right. I just like, I don't have send or die mode quite much, you know, anymore. You well, know? good for you. <laughs> you survived. And yeah, if you, yeah. <laughs> if you have send or die mode too long, the second half of that kind of probably happens. Yeah. Um, or at least you fuck yourself up. You Definitely. know, beyond bruising your heels on that ledge up at Lone Peak or whatever. Or Lone, is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah. Lone, Lone Peak. Peak. Yeah. yeah. No, totally. Yeah. I think it's, you know, my my self-preservation really kind of kicked in for for the better of you know making sure i i stay alive and my family doesn't have a really rough path ahead of them you know yeah totally i mean yeah isn't that the big part of it it's not just you that's gonna get fucked up and you know as both of us have have now lived through tragedy with other people you realize, yeah. you realize kind of what it leaves behind when you fuck yourself up or when you get killed. I think that's a lot of it too. Like watching, you know, it's having like Hayden pass and things like that. Like that really, I, I always was in this mindset was like, it was just me, you know, like when yeah. you're young, that's like kind of your thing, you know, you, you don't like realize how selfish you're being or like the impact you have on others. Mm-hmm. And Hayden's death really like, made that very obvious you know it's just devastated you know all of my friends and the community and whole and um it really i think you know i i had like a lot of mountaineering ambitions and like hayden and i had talked a lot about it actually mm-hmm. i like had this kind of fun idea that i really wanted to do with hayden actually and then uh yeah like that all that kind of like got swept aside you know? right and well if you would i mean just for a minute describe your relationship with him um, I mean, you guys got some rad stuff done and, you know, you were, you were good partners for a, a, a little bit there. You know, Hayden was, he's by far the most talented rock climber I've ever seen in my life. He's just so good naturally, you know, he would have ideas, but he wasn't like, like I'm like the super goal oriented climber, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm like, this is my year. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And Hayden's was kind of just like, whatever. I'm going to like yeah, hang yeah. Christmas lights. And then, uh, I don't know, maybe my buddy's like having a party and I'll go to Indian Creek and I'll climb the hardest thing there and not tell anybody called <laughs> Kokanee corner that nobody can do, you know, and, and, and then I'll just send you a text message and be like, dude, I just put up a route. You should go try it. You know? Right. right. And it's like, He's, he was just, like, very different in that way, you know? And so, like, when we would come together, like, y- y- I think, like, my goal-oriented part would kind of, like, you know, drive things a little mm-hmm. bit, you know? Because, like, whatever he wanted to do, he could do, you know? Um, yeah, so we, you know, we we climbed, like, in the black together mm-hmm. and had, like, an amazing time there, you know? And um, just, like, hanging out and, like, you know watching him climb is always like really really amazing you know he's just like so fluid and um incredible to to watch climb um but yeah i think more than anything it was we had kind of like really started to climb together but we had like more plans you know Mm -hmm. and he was definitely somebody who i just really wanted to climb forever with you know right 
and I, I wish I got to climb more with him, but, um, yeah, like we, we first met in the Valley and I don't know, he just had this like warmth to him and this like really like kind, you know, feel no judgment ever, just super rad and nice. And, um, yeah, it's just like so unique, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, you know, what you said about like future plans. I mean, you know, he was one of these rare dudes that, that could go off to these outrageous Himalayan adventures and come back and basically like physically like pick up where he left off. I mean, he would complain that he was out of shape from that, but it, it was, you know, there's, there's a lot of people out there for whom being that good in those two realms is really difficult. And, uh, yeah, so it's, but I'm just saying like you guys were rock climbers together and then he would disappear for, you know, months at a time versus just, you know, banging out the projects uh, on the rock climbing. So, yeah, he, but he was moving away from that when he, when he, you know, when he passed, he was, he was definitely getting out of that mode of going to the Himalayas and doing those sort of super big gnar things. Yeah. I think he... He he really realized, you know, that it was uh, not like a sustainable thing to do, right. like do those expeditions, you know. And he was really reeling everyone in, like he was always reeling Kyle in, you know, mm. like trying to like, dude, don't push it too hard, right, you know. Right. You know, like you can't do that all the time. But uh, um, yeah, like he 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 just had that head, you mm-hmm. know, that that was like so wise, you know. Yeah. About everything, really. Like he he just like saw all that coming. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a I think it's just a really nice piece to have out there is you guys' uh uh hallucinogen wall video. Mm-hmm. Um it's just super cool, you know. Yeah, like and, Hayden climbing in his socks and yeah <laughs> <laughs> and it's Levi's. It's yeah. like so classic. Yeah, it's awesome. So, um yeah, but you know, let's talk a little bit then about like your kind of greater path. You know, and and you've been always been good enough and been sending hard enough to be like a full-blown sponsored climber and have kind of had a foot in that world. But right now you're, you know, you're a working ER nurse and that, you know, you've, you've changed that path to that for the last few years to give, give yourself a, a, you know, a schedule for climbing and a, and a, and a sustainable sort of financial future. So can you talk a little bit about that, what you saw in that and what maybe the barriers were that kept you you know, from going down that path, because speaking of Hayden, I mean, that was always something he, you know, kind of just had trouble with, like, mindset wise, I wouldn't go as far as say ethically, I mean, he pretended to have these ethical problems with (laughs) sponsorship coming down from his dad. But it was really more of like, I want to take a different path. And I want to be useful. And I want to have a skill outside of climbing and things like that. So um, how how did that kind of come about for you? We were like totally like-minded in that part. And I think that's probably one of the main reasons we got along so well, you know, as we kind of like understood, yes, climbing, like you can be a full blown professional climber, but like in a lot of ways they own you, you know? Right. And I think both of us wanted our own, like we loved climbing and we're really passionate about it, but like we also love like the soul of climbing, you know? I'm kind of been talking a lot about like, just soul climbing, you know, like it's like what you want to climb and like what speaks to you and things like that. And once like you get like the full blown, like super sponsorships, then like things start to like push your climbing in whatever directions they want it to go. Um, And so I think we always like really wanted to keep climbing dear to our hearts and keep it, you know, true to us and core, you know, in that way. Like I am a sponsored climber, like Sportiva and 
black diamond are like very much so like super supportive and yeah they forced me to do this yeah yeah (laughs) but uh but it's like in a they were like in a level on the show this year we're fucking pulling our ads (laughs) but it's like like, fine fine (laughs) but it's like at a level where like I've always kept it where like I still had all of my own like autonomy in my climbing, Mm -hmm. you know, which has always been really important to me. Growing up, you see these people who are like, you know, 65 and like living in their vans still. And (laughs) some are like thriving, you know, some do it well. But being a younger climber, I definitely saw a lot that were like, they seemed not like they were doing it because they wanted to, but mm-hmm. because essentially they had been doing it so long that they had no other option mm-hmm. and they had to at that point, you know? And I saw that and I was like, I really don't want that. And so I always knew I had to have something and uh, nursing just had this incredible like flexibility to it, you know? I really liked also the aspect of like having climbing be like this selfish pursuit and thing for me. And then also having this other side where like I was actually contributing to society, you know, right. and feeling like saving like lives. I was actually helping people. Yeah. 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 I mean, segging into that from talking about Hayden wasn't planned, but it fits because, you know, his idea of contributing was super important to him as well. And it's certainly the case that you can these days as a like a, a hyper sponsored climber and, and certainly HK was capable of achieving that kind of level. Um, you can be totally financially sound, you know, if you're if you're at that level, which wasn't the case, you know, even yeah. 20, 25 years ago. But but he wanted to like, you know, even like baking bread for him was this like, you know, that's what he wanted to do. He's wanted to work at a bakery or start a bakery. And it was like, but he felt as though like, oh, feeding people. You know, this and, you know, all the thing that goes with bread and with breaking bread was like super important to his philosophy. And I think like something like nursing and, and, you know, it's great. It's got a great schedule. But in the end, you can still fall back on the fact that, yeah, you're you're literally helping people. And I I don't know, as you're younger, like, I think it's like this thing where you don't have that many experiences yet, you know, and Mm -hmm. so all you care about is climbing because yeah. that is your experience you know and that's like what you're pursuing right and then as you get older you like start having like more experiences and like seeing some other stuff and your like perspective gets a little wider and wider and you just realize i think at some age you know i think we all have that moment where like we're like unfulfilled by just climbing you know and then you start to look for other things to like find more fulfillment you know Mm -hmm. and i think that's why you see like even a lot of like the big name pros and things like this they come and they like start you know like alex starts the honald foundation and like other people either like do like nonprofit work or they like start some business or do something else you know everyone kind of like transitions into like using their you know, what they've built for like something else as well, you know, or like Tommy and his like environmental stuff, you know, and like things like this. I think everyone does that to fill that greater need, you know? You mean climbing a little bit harder isn't going to do it? Yeah. They're like, oh, that like... (laughs) only I could climb just a little bit harder. just do like 15B, oh no, just 15C, oh yeah, I... But isn't that kind of, you know, going back to your 20s or whatever, like, isn't that kind of like the way you feel? Yeah. If I could only do this and this and this, then that'll be it. 
but then as soon as you're done with the first one, there's another new third one. Yeah, building you, on top. You of realize, it. Yeah. and it's just the same fucking experience over and over again. <laughs> you know, you're like, sick. I show up. I try hard. Last day, last try. I sent the rig, and you're like, fuck off. I've heard it a thousand times. I don't care. There's always. You know? the, it's always. I mean, literally, it's the last try is always the last <laughs> yeah, try. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Just by definition, I did yeah. it on my last go. I'm like. Yeah, yeah, I know because that was your last go. You're never yeah. gonna do that route again, <laughs> anyway. But yeah, no, I get it. I mean, and again, like we've, you know, we've both of us have lived that experience as well, and it's like that's also you know a great way to move forward at that part of your life. Yeah, no, I think it's like totally important. You yeah. know, I think it's just like you know, you just realize that it's like it's wonderful, but it's it's not the means to an end. Yeah, you know? certainly. You 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 climbing harder and harder isn't going to like satiate, you know, and, and satisfy every need. Yeah. And when I've said this on here before too, is it's like you all, you also, I think you, a lot of climbers at, at some point have this revelation that they're really just trying to relive this thing that they had already achieved in a way. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, you, you had such a great time on that climb in that way that like, I'm going to go do a similar thing and it's going to be, as good or better but then there's this point at which you're like this like kind of hamster on a wheel where you're yeah. still you're just seeking this like experience that you've already had yeah and you are going to expect it to to fulfill you the way it did the first time but it's you know it's certainly not yeah like i guess the one thing that i think is putting up new roots right is certainly more satisfying to mm -hmm. me now right like i i way rather put up like a new like 511 Mm -hmm. then like go and repeat like a 514 multi-pitch honestly at this point just that experience is like so much more pure and like amazing and just like exploring and finding everything like there's something about that that doesn't seem like the hamster wheel mm -hmm. you know like that right. that always feels like extra special and great you know you just kind of dropped earlier like two things that you're super proud of and that's uh um hooker and then Kyrgyzstan, but yeah. do you want to talk a little bit about um, those in any particular order or in any particular way? Um, just to tell us a little bit about what they were and, and kind of where they fit in your life at the time and what they meant to you. I guess I'll just do them in the order of in which they happened. But right. uh, um, So I first went to Mount Hooker with Andrew Burr and did this photo kind of thing on this like really terrible route on the left-hand side. Um, but I just like saw the wall and was amazed by it. And then always wanted to go back. And so uh, I went with uh, Dave Alfrey and uh, Mason Earl in my, I had like a three week break in nursing school and we went out and we hiked like 19 miles in and forgot the topo and looked up at the wall. There's this one seam that we saw that when we glassed the line and it was just like going all the way to the summit and we just, we were all just total jaw drop, you know, could not imagine like that this existed. And we we're just like, fuck it. Like go for the King line. Like who cares, you know? And so, uh, had you, like, had you intended to, to, uh, repeat something? No, we wanted to do a new, a new thing. Route? Yeah. Okay. We were all like very much so into right. like the new rooting scene. Yeah. So luckily we had Dave and he like put up this, you know, it was a four. And so, he was using all these beaks and stuff, but this guy, Steve Quinlan, did it in like 1980, I think. Mm -hmm. He's like, this is sh shit's insane. Steve Quinlan's like 
super boss. Right. Like, yeah, he's he's an un, unsung kind of deep everywhere all the time kind of developer. Yeah. Um, a, early Kochimo guy actually too. Oh, really? Um, way down there, yeah. yeah like, right after the, the, uh, the British guys were there, he was down there with Nathan Martin. In oh, the, no way. Yeah, and you never hear about it until you're there. Like you're That's like, so wait, cool. you're looking at something and all of a sudden you just read Quinlan. You're like, yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. He's insane. Yeah. Like he did this thing solo and Dave was like, this thing's full on A4 with beaks. And he right. didn't have beaks in 1980, you Ripping know? It. Yeah. Like that, were good, that shit must have been <laughs> gnar, you know? <laughs> I just want Steve Quinlan to be on people's minds sure. and him to get yeah. all the respect because right. he's like, he's incredible. So we went to work on this line, like doing it ground up, um, which was really a rad experience. And Dave would like aid all the hard stuff. And then Mason and I would like swing around on fixed lines and figure out where it went. And it just turned out to be this absolutely incredible route, like definitely the best route I've ever had, like the opportunity to put up with like an amazing crew, you know? Um, and yeah, we, we did a lot of like ground up bolting, which was fun, like full on, like, you know, leading and hooking and like the whole thing, which was like a really cool experience up there, um, especially in such a remote environment. But yeah, it turned out to be just like this absolutely beautiful thing. Um, and we like, um, we put like minimal bolts in and things. And then actually Hayden went back and said it was really messed up. And so it's been bolted more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously I trust Hayden's opinion. I was fine with them putting in more bolts and stuff, but, uh, yeah, it turned was out... Was it multiple trips? Yeah, it, it was two trips that we did. Yeah, and I think the first trip was like three weeks, and the next one was about three weeks too. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was pretty... Because it's like a 2,000-foot face, you know, and um, it was a lot of bolting right. and things like that because it was just all seam climbing um, with intermittent gear. But yeah, it, it's... I, I think like Josh Wharton, after he went up on it, he like texted me and he was like, this route could be it's definitely the best alpine route in the country if not the world and i was like he would know i was like thanks josh (laughs) he would know probably (laughs) yeah if anybody would yeah yeah so it's like that that one was like incredibly special to me yeah super super great one that like i don't think i'll ever be able to like top that guy you've got this like uh i asked you about your relationship and your climbing partners with hayden and you know, you've got this relationship with Mason Earl, who was like a visionary climber and his climbing career, you know, maybe ended, maybe he's on hold um, with a syndrome like chronic fatigue, um, the sim- same, same sort of symptoms. What it was, uh, we just looked it up. It was MECFS. Yeah, MECFS. Yeah. So describe your relationship with, with Mason a little bit, and then we'll move on to that last climb that we wanted to talk about. Um, Mason is just this incredibly creative artist i would say is like the best way to um describe him just because he and and he has this like thirst for like performance is kind of important to him but it's fully based on what he sees like that's kind of where i feel like we both align is like we're fully driven by formations and like the inspiration comes from that so if he sees something that's like really beautiful and really rad then he'll like be psyched but like he's just as psyched on just like random adventures you know Mm -hmm. every time i would go and talk to mason um because he lived in salt lake he would just have some like crazy new artist project you know and have this like total vision and 
he just loved like exploring and adventuring and finding the, the way, you know, and which is like totally unique thing. I think it's kind of dying in climbing, honestly. Like there's not like a way to like flex your like adventure threshold on someone else, you know, and you can be like, oh, I climbed V15, you know, I'm better than you because you climb V13 or whatever, you know, but like you can't be like, I adventure harder than you, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, no one's like, there's this whole adventure to component, which is what climbing's based on, really, you know? It's just completely dying. And Mason had it in spades. And I like, I really want to like make sure that that continues, you know? But yeah, like, you know, Mason, I'd been trying something on El Cap and like, it was just like totally like, questing you know into the slab and he was just so into it i wanted to quit half the time and he would just like he was so into just like exploring and the ground up process which i i find fun too but he just had this like incredibly creative mindset for mm-hmm. it that i've never seen in with anyone else you know right i, I kind of like used to think of him and hayden not the same but they're climbing like mostly because they were just so are were however you want to look at it were like naturally gifted and, yeah but but like nobody outside of climbing would have looked at those two either one of them and been like oh yeah those guys are the greatest you know two of the best climbers in the world because they just yeah. don't strike the figure you know yeah. at all yeah like, they're both so like skinny <laughs> yeah. and like lanky yeah. and like but then when you see them climb i felt like it was a similar thing of like yeah they have this in hand. They, they, the climbing is like completely and utterly natural for them. And I think about it like, and, and actually this applies to Mason too, is like how I play guitar. Like people say, oh, you're a musician. I'm like, no, I'm a guitar player. Like I, I like bang myself against it enough that I know how to use the instrument. And a musician, and the reason I bring up Mason is because he's, he's like a, a prodigy musician. Yeah. That's who I'm talking about when I I say I'm not like that because he with music and with climbing it like he speaks it it's a language it's like us just talking to each other and I felt like with climbing Hayden was sort of the same way of like he just it it's how he expresses himself the way you and I breathe or talk or you know blink and, yeah and and I th- I always felt like Mason was like in that in that kind of category of like, Jesus Christ, like that guy was born to climb if to use a cliche, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Climbing to Mason is just so different than for, than climbing for everyone else, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Yeah, totally. That's, I guess what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's just this totally cool, unique thing. And I just, you know, it, it was just always fun being with him. Cause it was like totally like mind blown perspective, you know, all the time, you know? He also had this incredible optimism that was just like mm-hmm. ever present, you know, mm-hmm. like it's, we we're always going to find a way through like a blank section mm-hmm. or like whatever on a new route, you know. Let's finish with Kyrgyzstan because um, this kind of like took over your life for a little bit in a lot of ways, it feels like. Because didn't you yeah. go back several times? Yeah. Well, I went with Madeline and we went up and uh, Eric DeCaria actually like tipped us off to the line. Mm hmm. He was... Uh, There's another guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Another, like, so incredible, you know? <laughs> yeah. No one knows about him. Not just, really. Like, incredible. Other than, like, him sipping mate and that yeah. return to sender what film. A, yeah. He's agreed to do the show, actually. Really? Yeah. Dude, you should do it. I know. Eric's... For sure. Yeah. Like, total, humble, amazing yep. person who we should all look up to. Um, 
but yeah, he tipped us off to this thing on the west face of uh, the Russian Shield or Peak Sleslova. Right. And he went up like two pitches. He aid soloed it because I think uh, I think Matt Siegel was out there, but he was like sick or something. So like Eric just like aid soloed up and he was pretty confident something would go. So we went up there, went up and I quickly, we had 10 bolts or something. And I was like going up there and I was like, dude, we need bolts like and like a power drill for sure this isn't happening you know right and so madeline and i went down we actually did this like really cool ground up thing called lafayama that was like 12c and we did it like on site ground up which was like pretty cool experience on such a big mountain on the same formation um and then uh it was in my mind for like eight years yeah like just trying to figure out the team and like i was like this thing has to go but like it just has to align with everyone's schedule and stuff so it finally like came together and we got a group of four of us we had brent and eric bissell and Bargon. yeah and uh um and dave alfrey and we all went out there for a month and isn't it's hold on a second <laughs> Because we've been talking about, oh, yeah, Quinlan's like everywhere. And like, you know, I can all these people like you should know about. Alfred's like, he's like the Swiss army knife. Oh, the dude, dude is yeah. just like, everybody's like, yeah. And then Dave came and then yeah. he like did all this shit for us. So we, you know. No, Dave's like yeah, the secret so, weapon yeah, to all totally, this shit. I know, you know, it's so funny. Because like you need like a somebody who's really solid on a wall, but right. also can aid climb. Because right. like we can aid climb, but it's going to take us forever, mm-hmm. you know. and. Dave just eats A4 for lunch, you right, know? It's like right. no big thing for him. Like, yeah. That's yeah. what I mean by like, he's like, okay, let's pull out the, pull out, you know, you got your Swiss Army knife. Like, the, yeah, yeah, exactly. let's pull out the Dave. Yeah. Like, okay, let's Dave. use yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> no, he's like, in all these routes, he's like right. so pivotal, you know? Right. Like, it, it, they wouldn't have happened without him. Yeah. So, it, it was pretty obvious line, like when we started climbing, but it got pretty broken and stuff at certain points so we had to trundle like massive blocks and stuff and uh it really came down to like the hardest pitch was maybe like the second pitch uh, and it was just this nice like 13a face pitch Mm -hmm. but we really wanted to like create like this really amazing alpine route that was like also safe and that people would do you know that had like good wrap anchors and was like equipped well and it just took a lot of time you know like we were scrubbing up there for days trundling and figuring out where the line goes and things um yeah we we ended up in the end it just like took so much time that we ended up doing it like team freestyle which was actually kind of cool because we had four people and it just the whole route felt like such a team effort anyway that it it felt like the team free was the way to just like let everyone like lead some pitches, you know, but Mm -hmm. no one have superiority over the route, you know, because climbing in a team of four doesn't really work that well, you know, like that moving up the wall. And we could have like, we had like maybe one rest day with like some pretty questionable weather. Like we, we had some like pretty serious talk about going back and one of us or two of us do trying to do it in a day, which would have been fairly reasonable. Um, but we just felt like if one person did it in a day, it would have really detract, you know, from everyone else, mm-hmm. you know. So we kind of just like kept it at the team freestyle. Yeah, the route turned out to be amazing. It was just like this beautiful, beautiful route, three thousand feet, um, and really nice stone, especially for the area. And um, we put like seventy bolts in the thing, so it's like really safe, and so people can repeat it and have a really nice experience on it. And yeah, it had. 
like some really kind of fun corners on it too. Um, that we like kind of, we had like this, uh, we named one the Kyrgy monster after like the monster off with, and we named another one, um, the changing chimneys and just like took some like Yosemite references and put it on the route, which was kind of fun. But yeah, it, it was just an awesome thing to like see when I was a younger climber, then go back and like have that development kind of vision and see it through, you know, and, and actually like came together really easily, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so it was fun just to see like my development as a climber too, like come back with that experience and like go about the route in that way. And it was just really showing like how I had come around as a climber, you know, which was, which was also really fun. So did you sort of play a role as like, expedition leader kind of thing with that i mean you put it together but with something like that i mean we're talking about like a vision that is going to lead to you know an outcome like okay i want to have this route to be super clean you know you may end up on an expedition where somebody's like no let's just fucking climb it and next people can worry about how clean it is you know it's i think more common than anything else i mean were you in a role or did it just fall together that everybody kind of had a, we know what we need to do because it sounds like logistically, yeah. like it almost seems like there, you know, it needs to be like a Chris Bonington type guy down there. Like, okay, today's your day. Like <laughs> you, go, you, go you go next, <laughs> you go next and like, okay, tomorrow it's your shift, you know? Okay. Everybody break. Or did it just fall into like a natural rhythm of who needed to do what? No, I, on this one, I actually, uh, I feel like I kind of was that way. And honestly, I'm pretty like hardcore, you know, like my like (laughs) my like 100 percent all in thing. Like Mm -hmm. I have this. I think we all kind of have that, you know, like the the people who like are like we get shit done, you know, sort of mentality. And when that gets flipped for me, it's like I'm full business, you know. And so everyone's kind of like gave me a little bit of flack on that trip because right. I'm like, I go into full drill sergeant mode, you know, and I'm like, we are fucking climbing every day until we get this <laughs> shit cleaned and everything, you know? Right. And it was the same way at Hooker, right. you know? Right. Like, that's just kind of the way I get on those trips because I just, I just want everything done, you know? Like, fast and well. And I, I just think it's our job, too, to like, make sure, like, all of my roots are really clean, you know? Right. Like, I take a lot of pride in that. Like, I don't, do new routes just for me like part of the fun is like having other people go and repeat them and be like dude that route was sick like like thanks so much or like whatever you know and they like really appreciate the work that we did and like got to have this amazing like you know um experience on the route that they wouldn't have had if it was like some dirty chundery thing you know right well i mean the the idea that you you know people added bolts to that thing on hooker you know to to make it a, a better experience is, speaks to that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. That that wall is kind of crazy because it goes through such extreme f- freeze thaw. Yeah. That, like all the beaks and stuff, like s- stuff just falls out. Right. So it's kind of a unique mountain where like you almost have to bolt on that thing if you want any fixed gear to stay. Sure. But yeah, it's like, I don't know. I, I just think that stuff's really cool, you know? like Like people liking your roots and appreciating the work you do is like a really nice part of climbing. And then Mm -hmm. you really feel like you're actually giving to the climbing community. I feel like when, if you just like go up it and you're like, yeah, we did it. And it's like gross and no one's going to repeat it. Then you're kind of like, well, you know what? 
you that's great you did it but like you're not really leaving anything behind that other people are going to want to do unless they want to do all the work without like first ascent credit which doesn't really happen that much you know right so what does your climbing life look like now now it's I mean, we're uh, ta- we've been talking about maturing and becoming oh, yeah. this and that and like contributing but you know at the same time it's like fuck i wish i could climb more at least that's the way i feel but i have a kid um <laughs> so what does your climbing life look like uh, as far as work and and climbing and what are you psyched on um yeah i'm i'm really psyched to go on more expeditions honestly like that's really like a lot of what I want to be doing every summer now. Mm-hmm. Um, just doing new routes and stuff is in like awesome places, you know, and having those like adventure experiences that I think climbing is kind of losing. And are you a travel? I mean, how, how would you block out like a whole summer to do something like that? Oh, so I'm, I feel like really lucky. I'm a PRN nurse at a, yeah, at a hospital in what does that mean? California. So I'm like on call or like as needed. So okay. I can pretty much make my own schedule. Okay. Yeah. So it's it it allows me total flexibility. And when I go back, I work like I work a lot. You know, I work like sixteen hour shifts and stuff to like make up for time lost. But okay. Yeah. My, my climbing actually is like with my work is really I feel really lucky. You know, I have like a really nice balance. I climb a lot with my girlfriend, Kay, and, you know, we, we like, go bouldering Tahoe and stuff like that because we live in Sacramento. And, yeah, it's like, you know, we, we do it all. We keep, like, all the all the disciplines going, you know, and keep it fun. And I, I have my climbing and she has her climbing, you know. And for me in the future, like, I want more, you know, what really drives me is, like, multi-pitch drag climbing. Right. And new routes, for sure. And you're out here in Rifle, though. Yeah. How's that fit into you? I really psyched on it this I love rifle. Yeah. Yeah, It's just like everything's just so nice. Well, what actually happened was I wanted to go to 5G and I I was running. That's Segris and Honnold and a few other people's wall up in in Charleston. Yeah. I was running because like the approach is kind of long and I was like, oh, I should probably be reasonably fit. And then I sprained my calf. Oh. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, and you're like, you know, where are where is there no approach? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I was like, okay, rifle. <laughs> yeah, I can literally play from my car. Right. All is well. <laughs> How's your calf? It's fine. It, it's okay. good now. Yeah. Yeah. It was just some weird thing. I, I guess you're not supposed to like stretch stressed muscles. Okay. I just thought it was a tight muscle. So I was like rage stretching because okay. I was like, what the fuck? You're not getting better. Just right. felt like a nod or something. And I was just making it way worse. I think rage stretching is another little little window into your soul <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. that I've been trying to find. <laughs> the fact that, yeah, you, yeah. that you have coined some, uh, the term rage stretching, yeah, yeah. I've never heard that before. <laughs> yeah. But I think it speaks about your personality a little like, bit. I was like, Get one better. night, was, my like, calf was just like all fucked up. And I was just like, fuck you, calf, like <laughs> against like the wall, you know, just like stretching the shit out of it. And my girlfriend's like, stop fucking rage stretching. You're going to drive me insane, you know? <laughs> it's like, you've fucking irrational man like just come back to bed and go to you know give us some rest (laughs) all right folks thanks for listening and thanks to nick for sitting down got to do that one face to face because he was here in rifle so that was a pleasure hadn't seen nick in a while having him around for a few weeks and after we recorded the podcast nick was worried that he hadn't talked about 
the soul of climbing enough. How you should go out with your friends into the mountains, to the cliffs, and find adventure first and foremost. But I think we covered it. I mean, you know, ripping beaks and hitting ledges, that's adventurous. Not the kind of adventure I would recommend. You know, going and climbing the hallucinogen wall with Hayden Kennedy was an adventure. And now that adventure has even a deeper meaning for Nick and for me and for anybody who watches that video. Yeah, so we talked about adventure. Okay, I know that the holidays are coming up and the adventure can take a back seat to family time, which has its own benefits, but also sitting around a lot, maybe eating too much, or maybe eating just the right amount. Nevertheless, it can be a little bit of a hard time for the outdoor adventurer. So do some pull-ups, hang on that hangboard, take a nice walk, or maybe try snowshoeing again. I know the last time you tried it, you were like, this seems dumb. Why am I not on skis? We're just walking, dragging these things along on our feet. But hey, maybe you'll like it this time. (laughs) I doubt it. Anyhow, it is something you can maybe do with grandma, though. Keep that in mind. All right. Try to have a good time snowshoeing. Happy holidays. And check your knots. Theodore Roosevelt once said, the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, and spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best, if he wins, knows the thrills of high achievement, and if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat.